Welcome to Let's Talk Pixels. Apologies for a month of absence. Life in quarantine isn't as action-packed as Hollywood tricks us into thinking it is. But today we are joined by the wonderful Kevin Sean. You can hear him in Doom, Skylanders, Ben 10, but also hear him taking over Nathan Lane's roles, specifically Timon in Timon and Pumbaa, The Lion Guard, and as Snowbell in the Stuart and Little Animate, Stuart Little animated <laughs> series. And yeah, and so much more. Kevin, thank you for joining us. No problem, my pleasure. How are things, how are things uh, where you are? It's, it's warm um, here. Oh, well, it's uh, exact opposite. It's cold, cloudy, and we're in the second wave of COVID. And yeah, it's so cold, I have to put um, Christmas pudding socks on. So yeah, life's kind of great. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, I don't know what wave of COVID we're in over here. I don't know what's uh, going on today. Um, Interesting. The entire the entire government bears to have COVID nineteen, but oh what God. what a surprise! It's yeah, uh, yeah. it's a hoax. Johnson, of course, had it at one point, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, and he pulled through. Oh well. Yeah. And yet things haven't been better. He still wants people going to pubs. But let's not talk about the terrible world, and let's talk about uh, stuff. Fun stuff. Let's fun stuff. Fun stuff. <laughs> so. First question I want to get up, uh, I want to ask is how did you get started in acting? Confess your story. Spell mm. Okay. Um, well, I, I always, I always wanted to, you know, give it a shot. Um, but when I was growing up, my, uh, my parents didn't think that, uh, you know, acting and theater and all that were, uh, appropriate career choices. So I was sort of, steered away mm. from the uh you know theater groups but um i just had to go so i would attend theater uh after school uh mm. when they would have their rehearsals for shows and programs and whatever and there was a very sympathetic uh woman um and her name is ann krill it was ann archer before and then she got remarried um, and became uh, Anne Krill, Madam Krill, we called her. And she was very sympathetic and she, uh, she used to let me hang around and do things. And every once in a while she would cast me in some tiny little bit um, at the school because she knew I was just dying to get on stage. And uh, so uh, I, I didn't get to uh, do what most of my friends in San Diego did where I grew up. Um, just about everybody I grew up with went up to Los Angeles or they went into a theater program or they sought their fame and fortune as actors. Um, one of them was uh, the actress Annette Benning. Annette and I've known Annette since seventh grade. Um, another was uh, Brian Stokes Mitchell. Uh, he was a year ahead. He, he, he's kind of on the on the downward slope of his career now. Well, we all sort of are, you know, it was 40, 40 some years ago. But um, I took a different path. So I was in a band, I was in a band, I played bass. Um, and that didn't sound like a good career choice uh, to my folks either. So uh, I went into um, the tech industry and I used to uh, install telephones and, business telephone systems and I wound up working for a uh, uh, 
a company called Rome, R-O-L-M. And yeah. uh, they, uh, they, they were, they were the, the, the hot place to be. Uh, this was pre-internet, pre-Apple. The, the Apple II, I think, had just been released. And everybody was wondering, what do you do with a computer on your desk? Uh, and Rome had an idea, but what you would do with that computer is hook it up to your telephone and um, that everybody should have one hmm. in their home and on their desk, which was an interesting idea. We didn't know what the hell we would do with them then. If you, but if you can imagine, no internet, no cell phones. Hmm. Um, so I was there when all that stuff started. Wow. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I wound up working for that company and then IBM saw the potential in what we were doing, which was making it possible to have a, a, a voice telephone call and a data call going at the same time over a single pair of wires. They wanted that technology, so they bought our company. So uh, unwittingly uh, wound up working for IBM and Let's just say that the cultures of the two companies didn't exactly mesh. We were, uh, Rome was the original uh, Silicon Valley distributed campus, free beer every Friday, no set work hours, no dress code, flex time, do what you want, when you want to do it, show up, you know, dressed properly. If you need a tie, if you don't, come to work in your flip-flops. And that's what we did. Um, and um, this was, you know, decades before Facebook or Google or any of those companies had their uh, uh, fancy pants, uh, you know, free food and all that. So we had free food. We had a million-dollar fitness center with, a, with an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Wow. Everybody on earth wanted to work for this company, and it was nearly right. impossible. Yeah, nearly right. impossible to get in. So anyway, uh, I, I did. I got in because they need, there was an opening in a field office in Denver. And I didn't care where I worked for them. I just wanted to work for them. So I, uh, I said, yes. I said, yeah, I'll take it. I'll do it. I'll go, whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll take the job just to get into the company. So I wound up working in Denver for this little company, a uh, little branch of IBM. And I was supposed to give customer presentations as part of the sales force. And I was terrible at it. I was shy. I would uh, stumble and stutter and break down and uh, break into a cold sweat if I had to get up in front of a room. And so I decided uh, I needed some training in getting in front of people um, and not choking to death. And so I uh, took a class in improv, improvisation, uh, you know, improvisational comedy. There was a, uh, a group there in Denver that was uh, pretty well known, and they offered uh, classes in improv and for everybody. And I thought, well, that sounds like fun. I'll do that. So I started studying with this group, and they liked me a lot and it turned out that I was pretty damn funny once I got past my shyness and my inability to get in front of a group of people and they had me join their group. So I was working at IBM 
uh, I lost my shyness. I lost my stage fright. Um, in fact, I went a little too far the other way uh, to where uh, my, my sort of oversized personality became uh, a bit of a hindrance at work. Let me put it that way. Um, you couldn't get a word in edgewise, as you still can't get a word in edgewise with me. Um, so uh, eventually, uh, this, this went on for, I mean, there's a long, long story, but I'll shorten it up. Uh, the company finally decided to uh, ship me off to corporate headquarters uh, in Silicon Valley, and they put me into uh, education. So they, they gave me groups of people to stand in front of and talk to, which was really clever on their part. Um, and I did extraordinarily well. And um, then they sent me to Tokyo for three years, thinking, you know, we'll send him over there and he can teach engineering and do whatever he wants to. And that's what I did. So I was sent uh, to work for IBM Japan. And predictably, I got bored and went looking for an acting group to work with. And um, there was a group there that had been operating for over 100 years uh, called Tokyo International Players. And uh, it was made up of expatriates from um, mostly America and, and uh, Great Britain. Um, and uh, they, they had a beautiful, huge theater there, a 400-seat theater, and we put on these professional-level productions, and they just drew from, you know, um, the public, basically. They would post a notice in the uh, English-language paper, um, casting plays, and I saw an uh, advertisement, and I happened to know the play. It was Beyond Therapy by Christopher Durang, a very, very funny show. And so I wandered over there, knowing absolutely no one, um, auditioned for this play, and got cast. And I got a phone call from the director, who happened to be um, the head of the world's largest advertising agency in I mean, they were the world's largest advertising agency, period. But he was their Asia Pacific uh, director. So not knowing who this person is, I wander into this room. I auditioned for the play. He called me the next day. He said, you can have any part you want. He said, but I'm really hoping you'll take the part of Bruce, the lead. Act, lead. Uh, I said, uh, uh, yeah, I would love to. Uh, he said, and um, he said, which one of the, the women that you read against did you like the best for the, uh, as, as Prudence? And I said, oh, oh, Dee Dee, Dee Dee Meyer, the, the last, the last one. He said, oh, good. That's perfect. He said, because I've cast her opposite you. So here's her phone number. Do you, would you mind getting together with her and mm -hmm. talking about the show? So I, not only did my acting career begin there in Tokyo, but Dee Dee became my best friend and we're still best friends. She's in Newport Beach. Yeah, she's up in Newport Beach. Her husband is uh, is ill now. She's been married for 30 years and uh, I bounced all over the place. So, but she has no, she had no idea that I went off um, 
after my three years in Tokyo, I got cast in everything that I read for in Tokyo. I did a bunch of commercials there uh, in English. I did some industrial films. And this is all while I was working for IBM. And uh, in 1990, I came back to the United States and moved to Los Angeles and just made a decision that I was going to act for a living. And, and I did, I just did it. Um, wow. Most, yeah, most people don't do that. Uh, but I just showed up in Los Angeles with a little bit of money saved up and started taking uh, uh, acting classes and did the headshot thing and, you know, went looking for an agent and, um, I took a voiceover class from uh, Sue Blue. Oh, yeah. yeah, she's a legend, actually. Uh, I, I didn't know who anybody was. Uh, but Sue liked me a lot. And I didn't have an agent. Uh, I didn't have a SAG card. Um, but she started bringing me in for things. And... Uh, as soon as I did get my SAG card, uh, which it, it took about six months of, you know, knocking on doors, auditioning for things and showing up and hoping that somebody liked me enough to, you know, cast me and, uh, you know, get me into the union. And someone finally did. Uh, it was a feature film and, um, and I was the lead in it. It was a terrible movie. Horrible. I won't tell you what it's called. Okay. I will. It's The Naked Truth. It is yeah. available on Amazon. Um, I don't recommend you watch it, but it's, it's pretty astonishing. Everybody in it that was in it with me, I think all of them are dead. Right. <laughs> it was mostly aging television stars and people that had been around for decades. Uh, and the, the director would make these films. He'd crank two or three of them out a year. He'd, he'd cast a couple of nobodies in the lead and then bring in uh, every single actor he could find that had ever been on anything and, uh, and use that to sell his movies overseas. And I just lucked, I lucked out. Um, so anyway, Sue, Sue helped me get my, uh, my break in voiceover. Uh, I was actually auditioning, putting together an audition tape for Animaniacs. Uh, the show had not been cast yet. Uh, and she uh, was good friends with Andrea Romano. I was not. Um, she convinced Andrea to listen to an audition, and she was coaching me through the audition. I hired her to coach me through the audition uh, at a legendary place called The Voice Caster, um, which is still running. Bob Lloyd has been casting shows and commercials there for, well, I don't know, 60 years or so, probably. And it's still got that the same horrible orange sofa in the lobby. <laughs> we all make fun of. Um, but uh, it's still there. Uh, anyway, uh, Sue had uh, use of uh, one of his studios, his upstairs studio. And... Uh, Bob, as as he loved to do, was you know wandering around, just poking his head in here and there, seeing what was going on. And uh, he stood and he listened to me for a while, uh, you know, sort of working out with Sue and trying to develop a character for Animaniacs. Oddly enough, 
turned out being very, very close to what Rob Paulson did because uh, as, as Rob and I have had this conversation many times, you know, it, almost any one of us could do what the other others can do. It's a matter of timing and uh, an opportunity, you know? So it, it's, um, that was very interesting. But anyway, Bob stood there for a while and listened to me and he said something to Sue and left. And as soon as he was gone, she goes, oh my God. I said, what? She goes, Bob said, tell Kevin to come downstairs and get an audition for Keebler for tomorrow. I said, oh, I'm, well, I'm, I don't even have a union card. She said, yeah, I told him. He said, I don't, I don't care. Just have him, have him come down and sign up. All right, I did. So I did. And of course, Bob had gone home by then. So uh, the three people that were in the office downstairs all looked at me like I was insane because apparently he hadn't mentioned it to anyone. Um, but they put me on the list uh, to audition for, to be a Keebler elf. And uh, I showed up and I auditioned to be a Keebler elf and I got the part. Oh. And uh, uh, it, it was amazing. It was interesting. And then the product never aired. So, yeah, but I got to work with uh, a man, Parley Bear was the guy who did the voice of the original Keebler Elf. I have no idea who's doing it now. Uh, and Jerry Hauser was there. Uh, it was a group read and there was someone else I wish I could remember. But that was my first voiceover job. And then uh, Sue Blue began bringing me in to work uh, on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the, the original um, animated series with Townsend Coleman and Cam Clark and Barry Gordon and um, oh, I'm gonna get in trouble if I don't remember. <laughs> I missed one. <laughs> what did I miss? Oh my god, I missed one. Oh, it's not. I'm pretty sure they don't listen to this, so I'm pretty sure that's fine. <laughs> oh uh, well, I never know. It depends. Some people are very, very, very uh, upset if I if I don't mention their names, but. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, I re and I remember I had a really nice chat with uh, Townsend Coleman afterwards. He was, uh, you know, I really, really liked him. It, it, ironically, uh, we, we, because we turned out to have quite the rivalry uh, later on, in, in, not that much later on either. Within a couple of years, Townsend and I had the same agent and Townsend wasn't happy about it. Let me put it that way. Uh, yeah. We tend to sound uh, very, very much alike. So, um, and the voiceover business uh, well, still is, but back then, very, very, very competitive. And nobody was working from home. Uh, again, I mean, it was, you, we drove everywhere. You had to drive from studio to studio. And if you were a successful voiceover actor, you might have six or seven or eight sessions in a day. It wasn't unusual. Uh, yeah, it was quite the thing. So uh, yeah, I just changed from being an, uh, an engineer, a guy who taught uh, systems engineering and design communications networks. And I snapped my fingers and became an actor, just like that. It really didn't happen just like that. Well, amazing. Everyone has a story and that was definitely a story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, there's more to it, but it, it would take hours. Right place, right time is definitely it. And a lot of people were oh, very, yeah. very 
very kind to me. Uh, Sue especially was uh, uh, went out of her way to make it easy for me, and um, she introduced me to as many people as she could. Uh, I haven't seen her. Um, she retired out here to Palm Springs a couple years ago. Uh, I just retired out here to Palm Springs a few months ago, and we haven't linked up yet. Nobody's linking up yet because we're all, you know, trying trying not to make each other ill. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So my next question, um, how did you realize that you could basically replicate Nathan Lane's voice? Basically, oh. Interesting. Well, let's see. When The Lion King came out in theaters, uh, I had uh, gotten married um, and we had a three-month-old son, hmm. Connor. And uh, let's just say that having to suddenly provide for a family and being a new new actor um, lit a bit of a fire underneath me. Uh, I, I, knew, I knew I needed to make a lot of money and I wasn't sure how I was going to do that. Um, but I seemed to be pretty good at voiceover. And I remember we went to see The Lion King in movie theater and my son actually came with us in his little carrier. He was three months old. He didn't make a sound. We, we would bring him into movie theaters and sit in the back row just in case. Oh. And uh, we did that. And I remember turning to my wife, Suzanne, um, as soon as Timon and Pumbaa came on the screen. I mean, like, the moment I heard Nathan's voice, I turned to her and I went, I can do that. I can do that voice. And I thought, see, see, it's all going to work out. And she went, shh, shh, this is the movie, right? Little did I know I would wind up doing exactly that voice. Wow. Um, it was mm, six months, seven months after, I think. Um, maybe not even that long. And uh, I, of course, you know, I, I had no idea whatsoever um, uh, that, that they were doing a, a, a TV show and that they were going to be looking for a Nathan Lane sound alike, but lo and behold, uh, they had been recording uh, this television show. Um, and Nathan had done a few episodes and decided he hated doing TV animation. He didn't want to stand in a room by himself for three hours every week, several times a week. He just didn't have the time for it and, um, or, or the, the, the attitude for it. Let me put it that way. It's, mm -hmm. it's a lot of standing around and waiting and working by yourself is no fun. Uh, and that's the, uh, has always pretty much been Disney's way of recording. They put one actor at a time in the mm -hmm. studio and um, it, it's a, uh, it, it can be tedious. It can be you know, difficult to do, especially for somebody like Nathan, who's a, a state, primarily a stage actor. Mm. Um, he doesn't like standing in a box by himself. Mm. So, uh, so they went looking for a sound alike, and 
and they found two that they liked. I was one. Uh, Quentin Flynn, the good buddy of mine, was the other one. And uh, we were told it was all wrapped up and everything was done. Uh, I, I was it. I was the pick. They were, they were absolutely certain. Uh, all they had to do was run it by the vice president of, of uh, you know, television um, for Disney. And, uh, and, and I was the new Nathan Lane. And come to find out, the VP of television decided differently. So they chose Quentin to replace me, to replace Nathan. So the first season of uh, the Timon and Pumbaa television series has, has three Timons in it. And uh, the, you know, the, the ultra fans get all, all up in a bunch about which episode has me, which episode has Quentin, which episode has Nathan. And to make things even more difficult, I'm an exact match for Nathan, so I did all of the things, all of his ADR work, anything that needed to be cleaned up, uh, anything that needed to be replaced with his dialogue has me in it. So I'm all over the first season, but Nathan did several episodes, then quit. Then they brought in me to fix the episodes that he had been in but hadn't finished. And then they brought in Quentin to be the new Timon. But when it came time to sing the title song, he couldn't do it. Oh. And, uh, and then there's, it, it's a long, long, long story, but you know, we're all buddies. We've, we, we, there's a lot of behind the scenes intrigue and all sorts of strange things going on. But they brought me in to sing the, uh, the title song with Ernie Sabella, hmm. with the original Pumba, who has always been Pumba. And uh, Ernie uh, was a very, it was very, very strange. Uh, Ernie didn't want to work with anyone except for Nathan. And Nathan had quit and refused to do the part anymore. So, but Ernie was adamant that we not sing together. Hmm. <laughs> Out of respect for Nathan. And I, I said, okay. You know, so Ernie and I were hanging out, waiting to work. And uh, he was very nice. And he was trying to explain to me, you know, his reasoning, and I said, I honestly, I don't care. I really, I don't care. I'll, I'll sing by myself. It's fine. <laughs> so, uh, he, oh, okay then. All right. So, Ernie and I have been working together since uh, 1994 and 1995, and we have recorded in the same room exactly once in that entire time. Uh, everything else is, was has been separate. Um, we, we like each other, we hang out, uh, we go to events, but that's it. He doesn't want to record, he still doesn't want to record with anyone except his friend who wants nothing to do with TV animation whatsoever. So anyway, uh, I sang the title song and then I, uh, I you know, did uh, a couple of character lines for them and uh, Disney called 
uh, about three days after that and said, we made a decision where we're going to uh, replace uh, Quentin and we want Kevin to be tomorrow if he if he'd like to do that still and that and that was it and i i guess they've they've had a couple of other people do the voice for projects when they couldn't find me uh, but yeah i've i've been doing Timon's voice since 1995 1994 i don't remember oh amazing <laughs> brilliant brilliant and um also yeah. just going off on that uh, you're you are of course amazing at you know the voice matching for Nathan Lane, but you also did um, Phil Collins in the Balto sequence as well. So were impressions and sound alike something that inspires you in your craft as well? Um, I would have to say no. I'm I'm surprised actually that I wound up being Nathan's voice double. That's that's just a trick of of you know uh, genetics. That, that I'm able to just slip right into his voice with no effort whatsoever. And um, Phil, I'm delighted that they cast me in the uh, Balto films uh, in, in his part. I'm, I've been a, a Genesis fanatic since I was 14. So <laughs> I was like, oh my God, Phil Collins? Sure, I'll do Phil Collins. That was, that was absolutely wonderful. And then, uh, yeah, and then they did Balto 2 and Balto 3, I guess. So I'm in, in, in all of those. In fact, I still owe this person. If she's listening, she give her a shout out because I haven't forgotten her. Her fan letter is still on my refrigerator. It oh. is. Collingborn. She lives in Hertfordshire and she sent me the nicest fan letter uh, that I have ever received. Very detailed. Um, and uh, when did she send me this? Months ago. But it is still on. I was getting ready to move and I haven't answered her yet. But hello, Ashley Collingborn. You sent me the nicest letter I've ever received. And uh, I will be answering you, I promise, in writing. Uh, yeah, she went, she went in, into great detail as to why my Phil Collins was uh, so good. <laughs> really detailed. I'm like, wow, thank you. That's lovely. Yeah, pretty nice. But yeah, um, voiceover just kind of took over my life. Um, back in the, the 90s, um, we, we, uh, it, it seemed like you, you couldn't fail at, at voiceover. If you had any sort of aptitude for it whatsoever, um, the, the work was endless. And uh, it, it got to be a bit much. I mean, there were, there were a couple of years where I worked 14 hour days. Um, yeah, I was the voice of ABC television, uh, the comedy voice of ABC back when the networks used to do the, uh, the, the big three networks each had a comedy guy and a drama guy to do their promotions. So they'd, you know, they'd have the, uh, the, you know, 
Don LaFontaine, the voice of God, would come in and do the drama stuff, but he did it everywhere. But they'd also have a, a, a regular sort of serious announcer. And then they'd have a kind of a, hey, come, coming up next on Home Improvement, kind of goofy voice guy. I was the goofy voice guy for three years at ABC. And I was doing the Timon and Pumbaa series. And I was doing other shows as well. So it was a mixed blessing. I, I sort of yeah. missed the first two years of my daughter's life. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, I actually uh, had to leave ABC, see her be born, go back to ABC, oh. <laughs> help her mom get, get home and situated, and then back to ABC to voice some more promos. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's a crazy time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I personally can't, I mean, obviously I do voiceover work too. I couldn't imagine just balancing that. It sounds absolutely hard. Well, it, it, uh, everything began to change with the, uh, the internet. Mm. And uh, we, we, we saw it, we, I, a lot of us saw it, you know. We saw the end coming, basically, for uh, our, our way of doing things. Um, it, it, was, uh, it was just, it was a completely different world. Incredibly competitive, um, nearly impossible to break into. Like I said, I had uh, fantastic luck, and I also was very pushy. And uh, I, you know, telling me no is like telling me to you know try harder. Hmm. No, we won't let you in. You know, it's like, oh really? Okay, we'll see about that. <laughs> please tell me. Please, please tell me no. I think everyone's been there. <laughs> right, all right. But uh, easier now, I, uh, you know, it, with people working from home. Um, but, uh, you know, if I wanted to be an engineer, if I wanted to, you know, tape myself, I would have gone in that direction. You know, my, my own son is an audio engineer. He's brilliant. He's great at it. When he's around, I don't have to worry about anything. <laughs> he takes care of everything. <laughs> Really, and what, what else are kids for? <laughs> right, right. But um, you sort of uh, touched up on this a little bit earlier when you talked about how um, the how you being able to voice Simone sort of came into life. Um, so you've also voiced um, Happy and Pongo, for example, as Disney voices. Um, right. So has Disney been a massive influence on you as a voiceover artist? Um, I would say Disney has just uh, been... Uh, I, they, they're the ones who asked, I guess. Um, it wasn't so much that I, I didn't, I didn't grow up doing voices. I'm not a, I'm not an impressionist kind of guy. Um, for example, Maurice LaMarche is known for uh, his Orson Welles impression. And in fact, has been, you know, hired to, to be Orson Welles, be the voice of Orson Welles dub in for actors in live action films but uh no i was never uh you know i think i worked for disney a lot because uh once once they've hired you for a project and they like you they have a tendency to bring you back for other projects as well yeah um i i uh happy was easy he didn't have much to say uh, I think he had two lines, 
and then we sang Hi Ho. Uh, and he is still working. I, I did, I think, two sessions as Happy <laughs> back in 1991, 92. And he is still playing in uh, Disney on Ice. So every three years, I get a check from <laughs> Disney <laughs> for the one line I did as Happy. <laughs> And there's a there's somebody in a you know in a big fuzzy suit out there ice skating, mm -hmm. with uh, with my voice coming out of him. It's pretty funny. Nice. It's same with same with the uh, um, with Timon for uh, Animal Kingdom, um, the uh, the festival of the Lion King. Timon is the host. Uh, since since they've opened, that's my voice, a pre-recorded voice coming out of the the. The guy in the suit's head, <laughs> and I've never seen it. I've never seen it. I hear it's good. I don't know. I, I've I've never been to like Disneyland or actually seen it on like YouTube or anything. So I need I need to go. I I need to live. Do yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, so what sort of things do you turn to if you're in need of a nostalgia boost? Because you know we kind of want to you know like just forget everything in the world at the moment and just like go back to a simpler time. So is there any like film that you go back to, any TV program, anything like that? For inspiration or? Just just to get that sort of nostalgic feeling like. No, not not really. Um, it's, it's just, are you, is this like preparing for work or are you just asking me what my favorite movies are? Yeah, I suppose that's probably a bit more of a simple way to ask. <laughs> okay. Um, I like everything, you know. Um, when it comes to, uh, Animation, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, the, a lot of the new stuff. Um, it, you know, everything's, everything's become digitized and uh, it, 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 is, it is amazing what they can do now with computers, but I don't know, I think they've just, uh, I think something's been lost in the in translation, you know? Um, I prefer, really prefer the, uh, the, the older, the old sort of dark and mysterious kind of Disney films. Um, Pinocchio and uh, Sleeping Beauty and kind of the movies that they kind of, they kind of scared the heck out of you when you were a kid, you know? Yeah, the dark ones. I, I, do, I do sort of tend towards darker themes, fantasy themes. Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever been, I've never been in an animated feature film. Never, never done any of that work. Mm. Um, it's all been television. Yep. Yeah. But uh, the business was changing, you know, when I entered it, they were, celebrities had never shown much interest in, in doing animation. Uh, they, they didn't, it was just a completely different segment of the industry there were voiceover people who did voiceover that's that's what it was mm. very 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 uh, specialized type of work and so i entered just as that as that idea was beginning to change so you didn't have to have special skills you know special voiceover skills anymore um, and to a certain extent, now, 
I think a lot of so much of the industry is has changed because uh, I don't know, you know, there are these uh, sites, you know, voices one, two, three and voices.com and places where pretty much anyone can audition for a, for a role. And um, you, you have to self market. you have to you have a very strong presence online. You have to have a good social media game. And, you know, I'm, I don't have any of those things really. Um, I, I, I'm, I make good jokes on Facebook. That's about it. <laughs> but <clears throat> when I, uh, I was spoiled, I think coming in when I did and having the opportunity to, um, have the great agent that I had, Jeff Danis, still the best agent in the world. Apologies to the other agents that I know and love, including my current one. But, um, you know, I, I saw very quickly that, it, that you, you needed top representation if you were going to be top talent. Mm -hmm. And I intended it to be top talent and I had no evidence that I could do it. Uh, but I forced my way into his office and demanded that he represent me or I would quit. And you have never seen a more perplexed looking person in your life. <laughs> Jeff Danis looked at me wondering who the hell is this person demanding that I represent him? But that's how I did it. And, and he said, okay, he did it. He, uh, he took me on and Within the first two weeks, I had booked more work than I had the entire previous year. And uh, I just, I landed at just the right time and, and took off. And my career, it just took off and, and it didn't stop until I said, okay, I'm done. And I, it, I, they're still calling. And I've told them, I'm done. I'm done. I need to relax now. I need to retire <laughs> okay, I'll do Timon's voice one more time. Why not? It's okay. Yeah, it's like yeah, it for the Lion Guard, which was worth it. The Lion Guard was absolutely the probably the best. If probably I think it was the best experience I ever had working on an animated show. Hmm. It was you know the best scripts, the nicest people. Um, unfortunately, didn't didn't get to run as long as we would have liked because the cast actual children in the children's roles and that never worked out for that never works out for very long <laughs> puberty puberty is a real thing yeah it really is <laughs> yeah now, actually that steers me into my next section which is let's talk about the lion guard which is a, also known as let's talk about a disney junior show on a podcast steering towards adults <laughs> so um Thurston's voice. Uh, that was obviously inspired by Jim Bacchus, Borkus. Uh -huh. yep. um, Jim Borkus's character from um, Gilligan's Island of the same name. So what one thing I found interesting is that the character wasn't actually named in the in the show. Mm -mm. Was, was his name more of a behind the scenes sort of reference as opposed to him actually being, yeah, this is Thurston. What's his voice going to sound like? You sound like Thurston from that old show. This is, mm. this is perfect. <laughs> Well, there's a great story about Thurston, actually. I'm so glad you asked. Um, <clears throat> the, um, the Lion Guard, is, uh, yeah, it was, it was aimed at three to eight-year-olds, and we wound up having an enormous uh, number of 
adult fans, which mm -hmm. was cool. Um, I loved the writing. Um, Ford Riley, the executive uh, producer and the creator of the show, is uh, one of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. And uh, Kelly Ward was our voice director. He's been around for a very, very long time, also an incredibly nice person. And the, the writing, the, the scripts were wonderful. Uh, I loved the, uh, there was a, a, a sweetness about the show, a, a kindness about it. And Disney did go out of their way to cast as many celebrities as possible. You know, mm. Rob Lowe and Gabrielle Union and um, oh, oh, uh, Christian Slater. Um, and then the kids themselves, were were sort of stars they were disney stars yeah you know and uh so as it turned out i i wound up being the only person in the cast who whose only credits were voiceover um they went looking for voices of the hyenas they were casting the hyenas for this show and uh I saw the script and I talked to my agent. And I said, hey, ha, looks like they're doing a Lion King-ish series. Uh, what about Timon? And he said, well, they're trying desperately to get Nathan Lane to come back. <laughs> I said, ah, I see. Right. He said, but they did ask for you to read for one of the bad guys. So here, pick one, go in and do it. You know, we'll see what happens. So. I actually read for um, Chungu mm. first, and uh, he he's just kind of looked like this to me. So I thought, I think I might be this guy. And that's the voice I gave him, thinking, you know, who knows? You never know. Yeah. Well, they loved him, and they, so I got cast in the show. So, well, okay, oh, that's great. Wow, I got a series, that's really cool. Um, so we recorded most of season one. And the, one day we were goofing around and you know, I was in there by myself, of course, recording Kelly and Ford and there's an engineer there. And uh, I was getting ready to go and Kelly went, oh, oh, Kevin, there's a, there's a I got a wild line. You throw me a, a line in for, I got a zebra. You know, he's on page uh, you know, 78. He goes, you just give me like three wild lines on that read uh, or, or three wild reads on that line. Go, okay. And, uh, and the line was, do you mind? We're eating here. And I went, huh. And I was tired and feeling goofy. And I went, okay, all right. I'm going to give the engineer the signal and some roll tape. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, do you mind? We're eating here. And they <laughs> went nuts in the control booth. They went crazy. They loved it. They were like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Do it again, do it again. Just do another one for safety. That's perfect. I went, okay. Next thing I know, that zebra is showing up in every script. And he doesn't have it. He doesn't have a name. Now, every character in The Lion Guard has a Swahili name. Mm. So, which, which has something to do with, you know, what they are, or who they are or something. And they try to stay very 
very uh, strict about that. So there, there's nobody that doesn't have a Swahili name in, in the show. So they didn't name him, but they asked me, you know, what? Well, they said we, we're thinking of bringing in this the zebra character as a regular. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, we really like him. I'm like, really? How much do you like him? Said, we like him so much that we we actually need you to name him for us because we're going to put him in every script. And I went, wow. wow, that's so cool. So I said, well, might as well just call him Thurston, right? Okay, Thurston it is. Well, you have only heard Thurston's name if you watched the entire series of The Lion Guard. His name is said once. Oh. It, it's at the very, very end of the series. Wow. Yeah, that's they give, put him in once. But Thurston got his own episodes. He got his own songs. Um, and the writers, uh, in, in, they had a, a building, a separate building for the Lion Guard production. And um, they had they they put in a tiki bar there because that's that's the way it works in animation. <laughs> Animators need alcohol. So they had a tiki bar set up in their office and it was called Thurston's, which T-H-I-R-S-T-I-R. Uh, yeah, yeah. And everybody had Thurston caricatures in their, in their booth. Or there was, Thurston was everywhere. And they said, he is by far their favorite character. The writers adore him. We want to give him as much as we possibly can to do. And, uh, yeah, astonishing. It was just amazing. Just, and, uh, just that one audition, all of that came... One line, yeah, out of my head, and that was it. So, And they give me all the credit for it. If you ask them, they'll tell you, oh, no, that's Kevin's character. He created that character for us. Wow. And, so you just, gotta, you just gotta go with your gut. You just gotta do... Yeah, yeah. They loved, they loved him, and they said, you, we, 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 what do you think he is? I said, oh, well, he's, you know, he's a blowhard. He, you know, he doesn't know anything. He, he's he's got to be the stupidest animal in the show, but he, he can't know that, right? And they're like, perfect, perfect. So they, the panic and run and the whole thing was, was it all worked. Yeah. That was a, it was a lot of fun. So, yeah. yeah, very very proud of Thurston. Well, that was that's quite a story. <laughs> yeah. So you, Everyone, you created like basically an icon for the line art team and also created a hyena voice that reminds me of my dog for some reason i'm not sure I've that. <laughs> <laughs> literally that is kind of what i'm thinking it's either that or brain from um inspector gadget but i feel like you're definitely sort of there <laughs> <laughs> perfect so how can people find you on social media um i'm on facebook under my own name there you have it and that's it. I'm easy. There you have it. <laughs> that's it. And I, I am just going to put you on the spot for one minute. Okay. Is there an inspiring message that maybe one of your characters wants to share with our dear listeners tonight? Hmm. Let's see. I would say Timon's got the right idea. Timon and Pumbaa have the right idea. The, uh, Hakuna Matata. You do, you know, little things get you, things happen, all kinds of, especially now. Yeah. <laughs> Everything seems like it's so bad, like, oh, the worst, it's the worst time ever, and we're all locked up, and we're, you know, we're, a 
alone, we're away from our friends. I personally don't care for it very much. I mean, I see my dog during yeah. the week, gardener, when the gardener shows up, I wave at the gardener and other than that, not a whole lot of human inter interaction. So, but this too shall pass. And I think one of the nice things about Timon and Pumbaa is, um, I mean, obviously Timon is, is fun and it, it's fun to have him as a sort of a conniving little guy, you know, who's, uh, who, who's always, always got some scheme to make his life better. But, you know, when it comes right down to it, he's pretty happy with what he's got. You know, he's got friends, he's got food, he's, he's got a safe place to live. And I think, um, especially now, um, I, I find myself just stopping and looking around and, and just being grateful for what I have instead of wanting more. You know, and, I, and there are people all around us, especially in the U.S., um, it's a hard time for us here. I'm sure I don't need to talk to you, tell, tell you about it, uh, you know. I mean, I, I have uh, a lot of friends in London not happy about the way things have been going. Um, and uh, certainly none of my friends are happy about the way things are going in this country. But the good news is they, they won't be this way forever. And you've just got to hang in there um, and, and try and shake off the bad news, you know, deal with it. Don't let it ruin your life. And chill out. Hakuna Matata, it'll be fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. It always really does work out well in the end. Stuff always works out. And uh, the bad guys lose. The bad guys always lose, and that's that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your story is the absolute perfect message for that. Wow, oh, thank you. Thank you. I hope it's not too frightening. There'll, there, there'll be a book coming out in the next year or so. You can let me know what you think about it after that. Brilliant. And that was the lovely Kevin Sean. Oh, thank you so much. It was so nice to talk to you. Thank you.